NYCapartmentZone.com. From New York City, this is the NYC Zone Teams Podcast. A show where we discuss everything about New York City real estate. And much more. You have questions, we have answers. And now, here are your hosts, John and Nikolai. Here we are with another episode with the NYC Zone Team. We are here with the famous Ami Rosen from Wells Fargo. Thank you so much for passing by. And of course, we have Nikolai, co-founder of the NYC Zone Team. Hi, guys. What up, what up? Just so everyone knows, we're on camera right now. We're not live, but hey, we're all here. So uh, people can see this on all our YouTube channels, Facebook video channels, and if they want to see it on, uh, hear it on audio, we're on literally iTunes everywhere around the world. So, Ami. Um, so great for you to be here. We're going to be talking about the most uh, asked about question about when buying real estate is getting a mortgage, right? Sure. So I think that one of the things that a lot of people ask us, especially for first-time home buyers in New York City, uh, they kind of like one of the process because one of the first steps that we always tell our clients is, okay, are you pre-approved? The next question is, what is that? You know, so right. um, explain to us. You know the process of, of of a buyer when they when they do the the repair approval. We were just talking a little bit earlier about the commitment letter and stuff like that. Yeah, explain a little bit about and, the process. And what is pre approval to begin yes. with? Yes, sure. So first off, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's good to be here. Encompass, yeah. the fastest growing uh, real estate company in the world. So right. it's uh, exciting. There's a lot of buzz outside in the hallways, and it's uh, always a pleasure to see you guys. Um, so mortgage, right? It's always the uh, the big, you know, white elephant in the room, uh, because it is the difference between what a buyer has in terms of money in their hand versus the purchase price. And someone needs to bridge the gap, and that's usually a bank, and that's a mortgage, and that's where I come in. So a little bit about me: I've been doing this for about 19 years. Uh, I've been in the top one percent in mortgage originations nationwide for the last 10. Uh, I know my way around a mortgage. It's what I do. I love it, and. Uh, you know, the most exciting part for me is the beginning, right? It's, uh, you know, obviously at the end, the closing, that's where everyone's happy and everyone's shaking hands, but the beginning is the most exciting process and that's the most time I get to spend with the client and that's the upfront initial vetting process. So from my perspective, I will be referred a client, whether it's from a past customer, a broker, an attorney, a CPA, a financial advisor, whoever it is, and we'll have an initial phone conversation. And that phone conversation will get to know each other, right? Mm -hmm. So me, me getting to know them a lot more than them getting to know me. <laughs> but um, I learn about how much money they make, what they do for, the living, for a living, how long they've been doing it, how big is their family, how much money they have in the bank, how do they pay their bills? I know more about them than their own spouse does in most cases. So is it uh, a good or a bad thing? <laughs> a, little, a little bit of both. But, um, so I, I speak to them up front and I vet them as much as possible. So any good broker in New York City or anywhere in this country will not take a client out or submit an offer without a pre-approval on the property, right? Or, or pre-approval from a bank, from a reputable bank. So what we do is we check, uh, I like to call them the four legs of the table. That's your income, your assets, your credit, and then the collateral in New York City, it's very important because whether it's a co-op, condo, we'll, we'll look into that. But in the pre-approval side, really, income, assets, credit, we will check everything, make sure all the uh, T's are crossed, I's are dotted, uh, and if our system likes it, we will issue a pre-approval. Uh, I can go further into it, but that's kind of the broad overview mm -hmm. of what we do in that initial conversation to pre-approve. Okay, great. So I, I think I have one, like, one of the main questions is, 
when I speak with you and when I'm looking for a pre-approval over the phone and everything, do I need to give you any sort of paperwork or is it just going to be based off uh, what I tell you? Let's say I say my income is half a million dollars and all that hey. good stuff. So the, the good old honor system, yes. right? It <laughs> <laughs> um, well, doesn't work. <laughs> so there's really three ways you could approach mm -hmm. an initial uh, you know, pre-qualification you know, the initial process, there's three ways you could approach it. There's one, there's a pre-qualification, which is basically what you're saying. It's, hey, I make $500,000 a year, I have a million dollars in the bank, um, you can run my credit, which is the only thing we do for a pre-qualification, mm -hmm. and boom, you get a pre-qualification. But that's not really, most listing agents won't take it, they want pre-approval or what we call a priority buyer pre-approval letter, um, and that's with vetting income and assets to take a look at documentation. Now it doesn't have to be as in depth as when you actually go into contract and go up to our underwriting, but we want to see at least that what you're saying is what you're making. Uh, it's especially important with self-employed borrowers who, um, who are 1099 or K1 or Schedule C income, they may think they make a million dollars, but after write-offs and everything, yeah. their tax returns might show they make negative $400,000. So that's really why we have to look and it's important to look and it's important to the people who refer me to the business that I vet the customers properly because if I don't, then I'm not getting any more referrals from those people. I look like a schmuck right. and I don't want to do that. I'm not in the business of looking like an idiot. So. Uh, Pre-approval, to your point, Nick, is we will vet the customer with documentation. Now, the next step, which we've you know touched on, is you could actually get a pre-approval commitment letter, right? So that's a commitment letter that's reviewed by our underwriting team. That's a full submission of all documents. It's ironclad. That's legally binding. You know, subject to a few things such as appraisal and building approval and whatever else the underwriter might deem. Mm -hmm. But you can go into a deal with a, you know, if you're serious about buying, you're at the time, you can go into a deal with an ironclad, legally binding commitment letter right. where, you know, you have all the power in the world now to negotiate with the seller, with the listing agent. You, you're not worried maybe about a mortgage contingency in the contract. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the third next step for the real serious buyer and the real shrewd real estate agent will want that full vetting um, via commitment letter. Right. So, um, question about the commitment letter, because I, I, you know, we've come across this before with co-op um, boards and with the management company and sure. everything, and sometimes what happens is we get a commitment letter and then we have the ASIC forms and they have like two different numbers and stuff like that and it's just a nightmare. But when you're submitting offers on, on a unit, yep. and let's say you have a commitment letter for $500,000, sure. but you're going to get the place for four seventy five. Sure. How does that how does that work with the bank to get that uh, change? Is that an easy fix or right? So I would say from the offer standpoint, mm -hmm. I would not necessarily offer with the commitment letter pre-approval. Right. I would offer with the actual pre-approval because you'll have both. Right. right. You offer with the pre-approval, it says a number. Right. Even if you offered with the commitment letter pre-approval, right. just to make your offer stronger, right. it's a matter of what's always easier to go down in the right. amount than up, because right. up, we have to re-underwrite. Right. Down is easy, because if you can afford 500,000, then you can afford 475. Right. So we can take it down. It's a matter of a few clicks of a button, you know, okay. and it's change the purchase price and issue a new commitment letter. It's, it's done. Yeah, it's a simple process, you know, same day. And I think that's actually important to know that um, when, let's say when we're representing a buyer, everybody has to be on the same team. The mortgage broker should be able to reach the real estate broker for 
for any information. Real estate broker, vice versa, should be able to reach the mortgage broker to do any of those adjustments. Because in my eyes, when we submit an offer, let's say the pre-approval is up to five hundred thousand, yeah. and the offer is four fifty. When the seller is going to see it, he's going to know that there is more room for the person to come up. And right, right. If instead I can give you a call, you can change it with a few clicks of a button. Hundred percent. At four fifty, I think that's the better route to go. A hundred percent. I mean, I've done. I'm doing this nineteen years. I've I've had times where during a day, mm -hmm. brokers called me. Can you get me one at four eighty five, one at four seventy five, and one at four sixty five? <laughs> so you know, I'm like, no problem. You Do know, you want so, all of them in the same yeah. email? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Um, you know, from that perspective, happy to do it and right. uh, easy to make the change. Okay. Um, what is your experience with with the current uh, buyers that, you, that are you seeing right now? Are you seeing a lot of buyers with student debt? Because a lot of millennials are now going into the field of, of buying right yeah. now. And uh, some of them are kind of being restricted because of their student debt. They're paying the amount per month almost... <laughs> the same price of a mortgage of getting a home. So what are you seeing in, the, in regards to that? Um, so student debt is, uh, you know, slowly becoming like this country's big epidemic, I mm -hmm, think, mm -hmm. uh, especially because it's not like it used to be, and this is my own personal opinion, obviously, and, and I should say everything here is my own personal opinion right. and not the reflection of Wells Fargo. So, right. okay. um, but student debt, it, you know, used to be you went to college, you had the college degree, you had the college diploma, okay, it's on your resume, you're good, you'll get it, you know, you should get a job, you know, that's kind of how it worked. Now, it's really more about the hustle, right? So it's people who are willing to hustle and who maybe did a year or two of college or maybe didn't even go to college. You know, you Gary Vee is a perfect example, you know, right. somebody who just, you know, he's against, he's almost against education. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but <laughs> right. he's like, you know, should be saddled with student debt and right. that's an issue. Um, so one way to do it is make more money <laughs> so you don't right. have to cover the student debt. Right. Um, but another thing I'm seeing with millennials is just the commit, the actual commitment of buying something, right? right. So, uh, you know, I'm on the, I'm, and I, you know, they say millennials 1981, I was born in 77. Mm -hmm. I kind of think like, I kind of like to call myself like an <laughs> millennial. OG millennial. OG. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it's, a, it's about committing to something and I'm seeing less commitment by this generation, I think, yeah. in buying a, a place long term. Maybe they'll buy it a couple of years for a short term investment, but like taking a 30 year fixed mortgage on like a condo in the city or, or even a single family house, I just don't, I just don't see it, you know? So it's, it's less commitment. It's more, I, I, I would think, and maybe you guys could tell me it would be more on the rental side. These people just want to take maybe longer rental leases or, instead mm -hmm. of buying, but you know, that's, that's the other thing I'm seeing. I mean, fr from our eyes, we're seeing just people, I feel like they have so many expenses, including the uh, student debt, and they're mm -hmm. not sure. It's like, well, if we take another fixed expense into our monthly, it's like, how, you know, how are we going to make it work? Which is actually an interesting question. We have a separate podcast that right. goes over benefits of right. owning instead of renting. So right. especially if you're an independent contractor, um, you might be winning buying instead of renting because you... Um, in the end of the day on your tax returns, you might be able to take certain advantages. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's obvious advantages of, of owning versus renting, and that's building equity, that's mm -hmm. mortgage uh, interest write-off, which, you know, is less than it used to be, but right. there's still a significant tax savings, right. um, you know, but there are costs involved with having your own place, and, mm -hmm. you know, there's a... It's pros a, and cons. Yeah, it's a, pros there are cons. definite pros and cons, um, and obviously, you know, market. Right. You know, you're catching it at the right time. And and even though you're not selling right away, mm -hmm. if you buy and then two years later the market dips, 
you're freaking out, even though sure. it doesn't affect you whatsoever. Your monthly payment's the same, your taxes are the same, your maintenance right. is the same. Right. It's just you can't sleep at night because your investment is underwater. Exactly. So that's but if as long as people can see that the trends are always up and down, mm-hmm. and after every ten year period, they're usually up, similar to the stock market. Mm-hmm. Just stay the course and right. uh, do your. You should thing. be fine. Yes, be good to go. And the good thing about Manhattan and New York City overall, the dips are not as bad as the rest of the nation for the most part, from yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing some appreciation. That's the thing. Like with buying, there's a lot of appreciation. Um, especially in the areas where there's a lot of development and everything. Manhattan seems to be pretty strong. Um, of course, we've been seeing a dip into the market, but as of right now, we're seeing some high activity. Yeah, sure. Uh, what kind of activity are you seeing right now in, in mortgages? Yeah, so, I mean, I would say the last half of 2018 was mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, it was eerie. It was, yeah. it was slow. It was, you know, the phone wasn't ringing as much. And, right. um, you know, I don't think people were buying. I think people were waiting to see... You know right. what's Trump gonna do, or right. what? You know what's gonna happen here, or right. you know the Russia investigation. You know, right. who, yeah. who knows? Everybody was just making. But yeah. I think uh, January, February, I've seen a lot of activity. Right. Uh, you know, does that? It also also corresponds with rates coming down a bit, right? right? Mm-hmm. So rates are back down. Uh, people feel like maybe they catching it at the right time with rates and prices, mm-hmm. where prices have dipped a little bit, rates have dipped a little bit. You know, maybe this is the time to buy because right. if you know anything about mortgages, you know that if you're financing eighty percent of your purchase and you're going to pay interest on the money you're borrowing, right, a half a percent in rate on a million dollar loan could save you a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it could <laughs> save you a lot of money. So. Right. Even if you're paying more for the real estate, you're paying less for the mortgage, you have to time that correctly. So right. if you're an all-cash buyer, it's obviously a different play. But right. from a mortgage perspective, when rates are low and you know we're heading to the spring market, we're gonna, we're gonna, we should see some activity over the next couple of months, I would think, into June, July. That would be my right. guess. We're seeing a lot of activity in our end um, where we thought people uh, were just uh, you know, really just skeptical about buying, kind of like what you, what you were saying earlier. Uh, last year, but this year we're seeing some uh, an uptake, and I think it's literally just people just trying to take advantage of the rate right now. Because who knows, it, it might go back up. And actually, the, with the activity that's going on, it looks like it's going to go back up. Do you feel like the the Federal Reserve is going to drop rates or increase them this year? Well, the, I mean, again, I have no crystal ball, but right. you know, they raised them a bunch last year. Yeah. Uh, Fed raised rates. They held steady uh, in the most recent meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would think they would continue to raise them right. as a sign of strength. Right. Um, but all you need is one disaster, mm-hmm. and rates will come flying down. You know, right. we had it. You know, uh, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, over the years, there've been periods of time where you know you have stock market uh, snafus, and right. you know, and rates just drop. So one singular event could change that. But I think you're going to see a steady uptick in rates and. Right now, you got to really strike while it's hot because, again, real estate dipped a little bit, mm-hmm. tiny bit, not right. a tremendous amount, but anybody who listed their property in the last six months felt it because maybe it wasn't moving, mm-hmm. and rates are back down, you know, 30-year fixed under right. 4% so with the right credit, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, rates back in the twos on some arms with, mm-hmm. you know, special pricing benefits. So, I mean, that's a time to buy when you can borrow the money cheap, in my right. opinion. Okay. So, um... Uh, what we're seeing a lot too is down payments from parents. Are you getting this a lot? Like, a ton, yes. A ton. Have you seen like an uptick on this? Like a lot of parents that are getting well, involved? It, I mean, not to pick on the millennials, but it goes back to, <laughs> right. you know, 
I don't know where I read it. I read it a couple of years ago that that like for the first time ever, a generation was polled. Like they, you know, they do a, a different pollings on different generations, and a group of individuals in the millennial sector was polled, and it was the first time you had a segment or a generation where money wasn't the most important thing on their mind, right? Mm-hmm. So making money and like, which has been forever. I mean, you you know, go back, you know read the history books everything's always about money but right. for millennials it's about comfort and mm-hmm. relaxing and being sure. and not being bothered mm-hmm. right and these kind of things whereas you know money does afford a lot of those things but making the money does not right because right? you have to hustle and get dirty and mm-hmm. not you know in a good way dirty but you know you have to work you have to you have to uh, need the bread so uh, to that point down payments have to come from somewhere if you don't have money but you want to buy a place and right. you're accustomed to you know nice things because you mm-hmm. grew up in you know a nice family maybe mm-hmm. your family has money right and all of a sudden you want to buy this place right oh i need a down payment oh i need to be a pre-approved for mortgage i need to you know <laughs> most of the times I'll, I'll get what's called non-occupant co-borrowers which are parents signing on the mortgage note for their kid with their kid mm-hmm. as well as providing the down payment so to answer your question i'm seeing a lot of that with this right. with this generation right and we, we figured because we, we we do have some some clients where parents to come in and they're gifting the money yeah. or they're going to be a guarantor uh to purchase the place and, and whatnot but it's really it's really tricky because in, in new york city uh not every building will allow that you right know? So there's some buildings that that the ones that don't allow it the prices are attractive, but it's harder to get in because you need you just, need to have your own money. Just to specify, it's mainly co-ops. Yeah. That, right. Uh, well, not all of them by far, but there are right. some of the prestigious buildings right. that uh, just don't allow co-purchasing. They don't allow co-signing. You just have to do it on your own. Yeah, do it on and your own. that's their right. Right, know? and it's their right, and the yeah. price reflects on that. Yeah. You know, and then they're like, "Oh, this apartment looks good," and you look at it like you won't get approved for this building because right. of X, Y, and Z. Correct. So. But I think overall it's very smart from the parents' standpoint, you know, if um, they have children who are in their 20s or 30s to help them out uh, with the down payment because if their children are already paying 2000 3000 4000 for rent payment, why not provide them the money if you have it mm-hmm. so they can put the same money into an equity? Yeah, listen, every parent is different about, yeah. you know, uh, you know, my parents, uh, I didn't come from any money really, but my parents would always make me go out there and earn, you know, yep. working waiter jobs, you know, you want right. it, go get it. Right. Um, other parents say, okay, honey, you want to live in uh, Manhattan? Nice place. Here's $400,000. That's also nice. Right, you know? sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God bless them. Right. Um, so every person is different in what they want to do. Uh, some people, some parents are go out and make it on your own, and some parents are like, I support you 100%. Honey, sure. dear. Honey, dear. Honey, booby. <laughs> Love you, baby. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so just to kind of go a little bit along, along the process. So sure. when someone gets pre-approved, right? Yes. They get a pre-approved. They work with us, and then we submit an offer. An offer gets accepted because uh, we have to submit a pre-approval with their offer. Yeah. Um, once it gets accepted and everything, then a contract gets signed, sent out to them, and it gets signed. Once it's signed, yeah. What's the next step for the for the bank to come in? So a lot of times, people who do what I do will wait for a signed contract to start working on it. Right. Once I hear accepted offer, I'm already. Right. On it, guys. Here's what we need. You know, I have uh, I have myself or my team member send out an email with a complete needs list. Here's what I need from A to Z, and whether that's you know bank statements, IDs, uh, tax returns, pay stubs, 
um, letters of explanation on certain things we saw in the credit report, whatever it is, we send a comprehensive initial needs list, okay? Inevitably, it's going to open up questions about other things. We're going to see something on the statement that we have a question about or an underwriter has a question about. Uh, we'll have to ask. But hopefully we're doing this due diligence mm -hmm. before the contract's even fully executed. Right. So that's, that's the hope. Um, but even when the contract is executed, we can order the appraisal. Okay. Mm -hmm. Appraisal is a pivotal piece in the process. As you know, uh, basically for the listeners, an appraisal is a third-party company that goes out to the property and will appraise and determine a value to the property that the bank will use, and they'll do it via two things. Comparable sales in the last six months and uh, properties within a half a mile. Okay. So um, those are the characteristics. They'll use comparable sales that have closed, and they'll create a value for the property. Okay, that's how it's used. So if you're in a if you're at a property that's you know higher per square foot than the average sales in the area, and nothing you don't have any other comparable sales, your appraisal may come in low. So you know realtors usually know if that's going to happen. You know they always sure. say the appraisal might come in low here. I don't know. Let's let's you know what can we do? But uh, appraisal comes in. Um, we vet the building in New York City. We have to go to, if we don't already have it approved, we have to go to the management company, get documentations, a condo or co-op questionnaire. We have to look at the building, whether they're heavily investment owned, investor owned, whether they have a heavy concentration of commercial space, sponsor owned units. There's a lot of things we look at in the buildings. Um, at that point, once we approve the building, appraisal, have the commitment letter, we're pretty much done. We're waiting on, you know, we're kind of waiting on the closing date. And my hope as a mortgage banker is always to be to be waiting for someone else and not someone waiting for me. That's, that's the worst feeling when we have a tough, really tough deal and, you know, I'm getting calls and pressure from everywhere. We got a contingency, we got to close it. You know, that's really hard. Sometimes deals are tough and right. they take longer and more pushing and massaging, but... Yeah. You know, we try to do our best. And how long does it take, more or less, from the contract is executed to get an appraiser to the door? How, how many days or weeks does it take for someone? Contract to executed. So, contract executed, we input the application in the system, mm -hmm. I mean, excuse me, the address in the system within, within our application. Mm -hmm. um, and then the customer has to, you know, for compliance purposes, mm -hmm. tell us he's ready to proceed, right? Mm -hmm. You can do that in a number of ways throughout, you know, internally in our, in our loan system, whatever it is. He gives us intent to be compliant. Mm -hmm. So once intent is given, uh, we'll collect an upfront appraisal fee, which is the only fee we collect upfront, mm -hmm. and then we can order the appraisal. So depending on how long it takes the client from fully executed contract to do the intent to proceed and pay the fees, we can order the appraisal. Uh, the appraiser, usually the SLA service level agreement is, I don't know, 48 hours for them to reach out to the broker once they pick up the order. Mm -hmm. So they could be at the door, I mean, usually within, a, yeah, usually always within a week of, of the executed uh, contract, contract, the appraiser is, is there. And you said it's an upfront fee, more or less, how, where does this range in the fee for the appraiser? Well, so it's, uh, a lot is dependent on um, value of the property, property mm -hmm. type, Mm -hmm. um, if it's an investment property, there's different, you know, kind of market rent uh, sections that have to go into it. Um, so it can vary. It could be, you know, as little as three, four hundred to, you know, a couple thousand bucks. A couple thousand yeah. bucks. Okay, so it really varies, but it's an upfront fee in order to bring the appraiser out. Correct. It's the only upfront fee we have. So there's no upfront fees with the pre-approval or anything like that, correct? correct. All right, so that's, that's the only fee. That's so my investment of time to right. hopefully you know, have an opportunity to do the business once they get the offer. Beautiful. But inevitably, it's, you know, as you know, it's sure. a sh shopping game. It is, it is. Um, so once that's done, appraiser is done, 
they, they send out the information to you guys, right? You guys read it. What's the next step from that? Uh, so the appraisal is done, building approval is done, hopefully. Uh, commitment letter might have a few conditions that we've just X'd off via the appraisal and the building approval. Um, might have some other conditions. If there was a gift, we might need a gift letter. Um, you know, maybe some verification of the rent they paid to their landlord. Those are kind of conditions that are post-approval, um, but, uh, you know, still at the end. But not much. Commitments these days, it's changed over the years, you know, since I'm doing this. It used to be we would just issue a commitment and leave 30 conditions on it, right? right. Everything. And, and that was kind of stupid, because, for lack of a better term, because... Uh, you know, what, what are you approving? You didn't approve anything. You didn't see any of the ducks. You're asking for all these conditions. So uh, that kind of changed. And attorneys got a lot smarter also. They started asking for what's called clean commitments. Mm -hmm. They don't want to submit anything to the seller or to the board that has any real, you know, possible risk in terms of the conditions. So, I mean, once we get the commitment letter, it's pretty clean. We're pretty much done. Maybe we wait for insurance on a condo or a single one to four family. Um, but we're done. We're ready to set up the closing. The only thing that it's important to know is that to get the closing date as soon as possible because we have to give a customer three days prior to closing to sign and attest to the closing disclosure, what's known as the CD. And that's the final costs with everything. That even has broker's commission. That has every number correct. I mean, they have to see everything three days before closing. And that's also a change in the industry. That's a compliance thing for no bait and switch at closing sure. or anything like that. So the closing disclosure. So the sooner we know the closing date, we can get the closing disclosure out and done. United closing, uh, what's today? Side of closing on... Uh, on Monday, that you know, we we it's a con it was a condo, but we got it clear to close in like 13 days. We had the CD out like seven or eight days before. It was like so smooth, you know. Uh, you know, how often does that happen? What with <laughs> a good with a good borrower who's really you know good with their docs and the people want to close fast. I mean, we probably closed that deal in like 25, 26 days in New York wow. City condo. I mean, that was it was great. The clients were great. You know, I came, I went to the closing. I came in, you know. Uh, on my high horse because I, I was the, and the rate was great so I came in like it was all, and you know you love when that happens because right. you know you, you take the heat sometimes but you love <laughs> you know you love to ride the white horse and, the, and own the glory so what happens at uh, the great closing what does the bank play there uh, we you know we send it in New York we send a bank attorney mm -hmm. an attorney who represents the bank uh, to the closing they they work the docs with the title company, the buyers, sellers, attorneys are there also. Uh, the brokers are there as well in case uh, they're needed for anything. <laughs> and, and also maybe they pick up the check. You'd be surprised. Uh, You'd be surprised. Yeah. Sometimes when there's drama between both sides and we have right. to mediate it, right. like we've always done from the, you know, from the beginning of the negotiations, like it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, no. so they want a credit or they don't want a credit. Like, yeah. A lot of bankers don't show up to the closing, right? Mm -hmm. And for a long time, admittedly, I didn't because, mm -hmm. you know, I got, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're very busy and, and you're doing a lot of work mm -hmm. and you have a lot of closings going on, mm -hmm. you start to like, sure. you start to stop doing the little things, right? right? So, you know, I had this dip, like I mentioned, the last six months of 2018 and it was just like, you know, it was kind of a wake up call because I've been cruising for years and years and all of a sudden I'm like, what? You know, like, <laughs> you know, it's really, it's, it, it, you start to open up, you know, your eyes open. You're like, what am I doing? So, 
you know, so I started, I'm, I'm like, all right, I gotta, you know what? I gotta go back. Let me, let me rewind this thing 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. What do I gotta do? What, you know, what are some activities that I can do to ramp it up? Sure. And so I started going to closings again. I'm like, why am I not doing that? There's, there's so many people there to meet. Sure, of course. You know, it's like, you know, why am I not doing that? It takes, in New York City, even the furthest corner of this of this island mm-hmm. will take you like a half hour to get to via subway, right? right. In Manhattan. Right. And Brooklyn, you know, so you get to Brooklyn, whatever it is. Um, same with Long Island City, it's a hop, skip, and a jump. So mm-hmm. just show up at the closing. It's, it's so stupid of me not to. And, you know, I'm just, I just see it, you know, so I'm doing a lot more activity than mm-hmm. I wasn't doing for so long. And it's, you know what? Mm-hmm. It's yeah, bearing it fruit. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a people people business. From each side, from every single corner and everything. Yeah. So one of the things I did want to point out was, like, I know you mentioned the commitment letter. Yeah. And I know uh, with co-ops, you're going to need something else as well. Yes. Um, with condos, it's just a commitment letter and you're done. Is that correct? Correct. And then with a co-op, what else do you need? So you need to submit a board package, as right. you know, and the, usually the broker handles this, unless right. there is no broker, but that's, I think, suicide right. with dealing with the co-op, <laughs> right? right? Um, I mean, I know when I do refinances uh-huh. and co-ops, the, mm-hmm. the customer himself has to fill out a board package to right. get it approved, and oh, I'm like, Lord. oh my God, I can't believe, you know, like, <laughs> that alone is, is good enough to, you know, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to represent a buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, so... To submit a board package, you have to have the recognition agreements, the appraisal, and the commitment letter. Those are the three things that we have to handle to get to the brokers who are submitting the board package. And the recognition agreements, basically stating your amount of shares in Mm -hmm. this corporation, uh, because you know co-op is not real property; it's uh, shares in a corporation and a cooperative. So you know you're just basically seeing the attestation as to mm-hmm. as to how many shares you're getting. It's signed by the management company, right. by a member of our of our bank. Um, so those are the three things we call. It's a little 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 different. Right. So just so that everyone that's listening is also called an ASTEC form. Correct. Right? So they, it's something that is needed when you're putting them into the board package. Uh, you need to get those, and they're normally the three original. Three original. Yeah. I always wondered, like, why? 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 Because there are three people it? who sign it. There's three people who sign it. Yes. So Do you know who those people are like. Yes, the management company, a representative from the bank, and the actual borrower. Oh, so nice. Okay. That's why I've always that. wondered. <laughs> we, we had the story when Aztec forms got lost the last day, so yeah. we had to resign them. Yeah. That's like literally the last day. Yeah, the last day. I think it was closing day. Yep. Like, so then the bank guys, it was, it was amazing how they even gave uh-huh. that turnaround to be yeah. honest with you. So, um, but I think one of the big questions is we kind of went through the process for different things. But if somebody is listening and they're like, well, you know, we're looking to buy a property maybe within a couple of months, maybe within a year. What are some of the good steps for them to take um, before even reaching out to you for their own personal finances? Uh, well, credit is key, right? So okay. if you have some, uh, you know, we a lot of us... Again, I'll go back, you know, eight, ten years ago, you couldn't, you didn't know what your credit was until someone ran it, right? Now, pretty much every bank offers some kind of credit uh, service to get your credit score. Pretty, people know what their credit score is these days. Um, so if you know you have a ding, maybe a collection account from some medical prepay, or maybe you, maybe you missed a, uh, you know, rental payment, or maybe you missed some kind of payment that would show up in your credit report, I would suggest trying to, you know, clean that up because the higher your credit score, the better interest rate you're going to get in most cases. Uh, the lower the credit score, the more interest you're going to pay, which no one likes to do. Right. Um, 
you know, in self-employed borrower has got to be self-employed for at least two years, show a two-year history. Okay. So, um, you know, if you were, if you went from, you know, I often find cases somebody went from Wall Street and then opened up their own hedge fund, right? So they got a lot of money. They used to make salary and bonus, you know, big time cash, but now they have no, they're not making money or they don't have a history showing they're making money. They have money tied up in their fund or whatever. You know? So mm-hmm. it's interesting that, you know, the way people think also is, oh, I should be fine. Like they don't, no one thinks about, oh, I need two years self-employment when buying a place, even though they have all the money and, you know, it's right. so from a mortgage perspective, self-employed um, borrowers need to have two years self-employment history. That's pretty big. Um, and it's based on their net income. It's based on their adjusted gross income, yep. correct, after write-offs. Um, I mean, there could be other things that come into play that you can right. add back. You know, there's a whole there's a whole way we qualify via self-employed income, but but they have to have a two-year history of us to see that's not just a one-year fluke or it's <laughs> right. you know you know so, so some sort of this consistency and yeah I mean don't making money don't have you know another thing people do wrong is they. You know, their bank statements, they have transfers and deposits all over the place. So large deposits are a big thing we review as a bank. Like, you know, we see a $35,000 deposit to your account. Where'd this come from? You know, we're a bank, we're a financial institution. We can't just assume like, oh, uh, it's nothing. It came from a friend. Okay, so we can't use it because we can't source it. Right. So make sure your statements are kind of, you know, you're not moving money. And, you know... uh, my my associate Lisa will always you know complain when someone you know we have a borrower who is transferring money from like one account to another and doing that like they have three different accounts for it almost seems like for no reason like just moving money and we have to connect all these dots of like transfer <laughs> yeah just calm down you know <laughs> like keep it keep things simple don't make any big purchases don't open new credit card accounts you yeah. know. If you know you're buying, keep it simple, you know, mm-hmm. K-I-S, I guess. <laughs> what, what, what happens if you just switch the job? You had a regular job, you know, you were yeah. getting well paid and then you just switched it. So it's my first two weeks on the job. But, but a W-2, uh, mm-hmm. like a yeah. salary? So I just need to see a, uh, you know, so if, they don't, if they don't have a pay stub, uh, you know, usually get the first pay stub in a couple of weeks, but if they don't have one, then, um, you know, the con- sometimes the employment contract will stay with their earnings. So we, we could use that as long because it's, we know it's going to be paid out W-2. Because so. like on our side, for example, if you just switch the jobs and you're applying for a co-op, that might affect things because they usually think last in, first out, even right. if it happens. Right. 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 Right, right, Could right. be. Well, co-ops are fickle, you know, that's, there you're, it's different from, you know, I deal with guidelines, right? Mm-hmm. So my bank publishes guidelines that we have, to, we have to adhere to, you have to fit to this box. And there are cases, you know, that we go outside of the box if we have, you know, a lot of post-flows and liquidity or we have, you know, we have compensating factors that create a good position for us. But with the co-op board, it's people and there's no box, right? Sometimes they'll give you some, some, some kind of like threshold. Maybe this is 25% max debt to income ratio or, you know, they'll give you some thresholds. But at the end of the day, these are people making a decision whether, almost whether they like you or not, you know? It almost feels that way. And we just hope it's just, <laughs> just to the numbers. We, and We hope they like them. <laughs> yeah, we hope they like them too. I mean, we always, we prep our, uh, all our clients to how to do the interviews and stuff like that. And majority of the time, it's always like, it's it went well. Right. Like, I mean, people are people at yeah, the end of the day. Yeah. Unless you're completely rude and everything, then yeah. I guess you're giving them reason to reject, to yeah. reject you yeah. uh, from, from, the, from the process. For, and for, for the most part, it's been reasonable, like 99%. Exactly, yeah, most of the time. I mean, the hardest part is they don't, you know, they don't give you an answer. 
There, right. There's no reason. They don't give you a reason. They shouldn't right. have an answer. They don't give you. A, they never give you a reason. Right. right. So, why? Don't worry. You know, no. no. It's it's kind and of like a and there's a buffer because you're dealing with the management company and the management company is their buffer. Yeah. So they like well they didn't give me an, an, yeah. a reason. It's shut down. And which, trying to get them over the phone is a little difficult. Yeah. Which you think is <laughs> which you think is another thing like the importance of working with an experienced agent is we try to figure out what the board is looking for from the right. beginning. So you don't to, waste your time. Yeah, exactly because so. it's it's a lengthy process and it sucks to get turned out. Right. Turned out. So one of the things uh, that I wanted to mention was um, the closing costs. Yes. I get this question a lot from sure. a lot of people. What are my closing costs going to be? Sure. You know, and it's like, um, we just different calculators that we use, or you put this, yep. you put that, or whatever, and we kind of have like a rough idea of what it's going to be. But when it comes to getting a mortgage, I've yep. noticed that there's two different things when you're buying it with a condo and when you're doing it with a co-op. Correct. We're talking, about, and we're talking about like a huge jump. Yep. In closing costs. Correct. What is that, John? So, first of all, I'll just preface, before I get into the difference between condo and co-op, right. I'll preface this with, you apply now, you know, you put an application in our system, yeah. you're going to be able to view what's called an LE, a loan estimate, okay? Mm -hmm. And that loan estimate is going to be pretty, pretty, it's the maximum possible cost you can incur. So, it's going to be pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. uh, it usually comes in less, you know, the title costs end up being less, and there's some things that are less, but... Buyers today get a loan estimate up front, so they know what they're going to pay once they even do a pre-approval. Right? right? They'll okay. they'll be able to access that. Um, uh, but on the you know on the initial conversation, um, so again, co-op and condo. Co-op is not real property; you're buying right. shares in a cooperative, whereas condo is real property. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you are. Uh, the biggest thing that's happening is you are getting title insurance on a condo and you are getting what's called a UCC lien search on a co-op. Title insurance is a big insurance business in this country. They have it for commercial and residential. It's a monster, monster animal. They're making a lot, a lot of money. God bless them. Everyone deserves to make money. But you're insuring the title to the property that no one ever can come lay claim to the, to the property, right. to the deed of the property. Um, there are searches involved. There are recording fees with the county clerks. I mean, this is like everyone's, you know, it's almost like everyone's taking a piece right. with title insurance. And there, there's so many like little fees there. Um, so that's a big cost. Uh, mansion tax, so that's co-op or condo. That's a, a million dollar or more purchase, you pay 1% of the purchase price in mansion tax. So you buy a $2 million property, that's 20 grand in mansion tax right off the bat. Um, mortgage tax, on a condo you pay mortgage tax, on a co-op you do not pay mortgage tax. Mortgage tax is 1.925% of the mortgage amount. Ouch. Boom. You know, so it's a lot. Yeah, a lot of money. It's a tremendous amount of money. Yeah. So on uh, a million dollar mortgage, that's nineteen grand. You know, mm -hmm. so that's that's a big number. Mm -hmm. Co-op UCC lien search costs about four hundred fifty five hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. So that's your cost there. And then you've got in the same what you've got the same is bank fees, whatever those may be, for to process and underwrite the loan, an appraisal fee, and a bank attorney in New York. So. You're putting those three fees and a credit report fee of usually 15, 20 bucks, but mm -hmm. you're putting those couple of fees with just a UCC lien search and a co-op mm -hmm. or maybe mansion tax, but with a condo, you've got title insurance, you've got mortgage tax, you've got a mansion tax. So you could have, you know, in a big purchase, 70, $100,000 in closing costs, you know, yeah. on a condo. So it's a big difference and a big savings uh, when you're buying a co-op. You oh know? yeah, it's a huge savings. So we're actually going through, um, 
we're working with a buyer right now, and you know we're we're talking about a difference of either, especially with the new development, because new development is in those other closing fees on <laughs> closing yeah, contracts, sponsor fees, the sponsored transfer taxes. Yeah, you're paying the seller's transfer tax, and, and the seller's attorney. Yes, it's insane. Yes. So, like on top of it all, um, you know, we're talking about around seven to eight thousand in closing costs for a co-op and for a brand new new development condo. You're looking around twenty nine thousand. Right. What we're talking about twenty thousand dollar difference yeah, yeah, yeah. by doing a condo and a co-op. So I, I mean, and it's it's surprising because when we when we tell people this, they're like, wow, like right. why? It's because well, first of all, new development. Right. But then I think the most. Biggest, the biggest one is the mortgage tax, right. you know, and I yeah. think the rate is different after you pass, I think half a million dollars, I believe, right? Yes, correct. And it's even higher, yes. I think. Yes, so, it is, it is. Um, so they, uh, it's a huge difference when, when you're taking out a mortgage, and I want our listeners to know that about that difference, because I think there's a lot of confusion. They think, well, co-op, condo, whatever, I mean, if they buy it at this price, it should be similar to these closing costs, but that's not the case at all. I mean, I would think, do you, do most people uh, you know most of your buyers prefer a condo right I, people always seem to say I prefer a condo but mm-hmm. co-ops are better priced is that do I have that right so yeah I mean they want condo because they want freedom right. right they want freedom but they, they want with, with, with freedom there's a premium right, right? <laughs> <laughs> and not just that um, about 70 to 80 percent of the market in Manhattan are co-ops. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're looking at the condos, you're looking at a very small portion of the mm-hmm. market. Right. So if you want to open up your doors, if you want to live somewhere, let's say back in the day, very prestigious, and even still right now, like Central Park West, right? How can you find a condo there? It's right. it's tougher. Upper, Upper East Side. Yep. Right. Upper East Side. Very few, very few condos. Very Downtown, few condos. different sure. story. What's the thing? It's like. 15% of the market or 20%? 20% of the market is condos and right. the rest is usually co-ops. Just yeah. co-ops, yeah. Which in a way, I mean, for the for the buyers that are out there looking, eh, pros and cons, right? You yeah. know, with a co-op, you have to go through a board and everything. You're going to save money in your closing costs, a right. ton of money. And also, you know, even though co-ops don't have square footage, but if we were to measure it, uh, if we were to take identical condo and identical co-op, mm-hmm. then co-op would be cheaper per square foot. Right. So you're getting more for your money usually. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Ami, I think I think we're done with the questions here. Yeah, I think we covered all for what um, a buyer is looking at. You have oh, another I, question? I have one more question. The very important question. What's the important question? So, if somebody has more questions and they want to get pre-approved, how do they reach you? Right. So you can. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know who's listening. I don't know. Uh, you know. I'm sure you're all great people. Um, if if someone wants to get pre-approved, first of all, they should call the uh, the NYC apartment zone team and uh, and go look for property because uh, these guys are great and they're hungry and they want to get you a great deal and they want to get you closed and happy in your new place. So I you know give it up to these guys. Um, my email is ami.rosen at wellsfargo.com. That's probably a great place to start. Um, you can look me up. I'm, and my name is Ami Rosen, A-M-I-R-O-S-E-N on LinkedIn or uh, on Instagram. Is that it right there? That's it. A-R underscore Mr. Magnetic. So you can see it. I see it in the video. And, right here. Uh, there it is. Again, that's A-R underscore Mr. <laughs> Magnetic. And you know, if, if I have uh, two, two seconds to tell my Mr. Magnetic story. Sure, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, you know, this came from, I was working with a business coach mm-hmm. and I was, you know, this was 
don't know, maybe seven, eight years ago, and I was wanting to step up my game, you know, to bigger, bigger rooms, bigger people, big, you know, bigger places, and you know, and she asked me at the time, she's like, "What do you want to, you know, what do you want to happen when you walk in the room?" I was like, "You know, you just want to walk into a room and people know that you're you're there and you're the guy and you're like, you know, you're almost like a mag, be it like a magnet, be like Mr. Magnetic, you know." She's like. Well, create your superhero so that when you walk into somewhere and you, you know, you could change and that's your superhero, right. right? So if you're maybe having nerves or you're, you know, unsure about who you're going to meet or you don't know what's going to happen, just turn on Mr. Magnetic and then you can, cool. you can be, so that, so AR my initials that's quite Mr. Clever. I like Mr. That. Magnetic. So, you know, when I can muster up, uh, you know, the superhero powers, I just go <laughs> in and, Mr. Magnetic, and that's it. Invincible. Yeah, exactly. So, I love it. So after you became Mr. Magnetic, that's when you became top top one percent. <laughs> that's all it took. It was during it was during that time. But that's <laughs> great. You know, I had my uh, best years. But like I said, you know, for all you people out there, whatever you do, uh, whatever business you're in, um, enjoy the good times, and then just don't forget what it takes to you know there are ups ups and downs, as you know, Absolutely. and what it takes to keep keep yourself at the top is always. And it's never to stop, you know, always do the basics. Right. Don't lose sight of the basics because the basics will continually bring in the business. So right. stick to the basics, I would say. I appreciate that. Um, Ami Rosen, I, I really do recommend everyone to follow him on Instagram, to be honest with you. He, he gets some great content. He talks about some motivational stuff too and everything. He'd be there in his, uh, was it your jacuzzi or something? Just <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> He's just chilling here. He's showing his family and everything. So it's some great stuff. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you so much for passing by. No we problem. always love to see you. This is great. Thank and, you. And uh, to the next one, uh, make sure you follow us on our website, all our social media, Facebook, and subscribe. And if you have any questions, you could always reach out to us at zone at nycazone.com. Cool. Take care, thank everyone. Bye-bye. 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 See apartmentzone.com.